you are not alone in the feelings that you are going through. Um, this is not your fault. This is not on you. This is not your fault. You have to remember that. Um, again, like I want to reiterate that survivor's guilt is very common and you have to allow yourself space and time to be able to process the emotions. Having or sticking to these rigid notions or rigid timelines and goals is, in my opinion, a futile attempt because even for us at work, we've had certain deadlines, but those haven't been met because you know what? Life happens. Set, set, set and set! Curry Connect is back with another series of episodes and the first episode is with Akanksha Tamri. Forbes 30 under 30, owner of mental health and wellness platform called Reset Your Every Day. And this episode is special because it's a little bit of a reset of Curry Connect. It's the month of May, which is the Mental Health Awareness Month. And Akanksha tells you how to reset your perspectives on the pandemic and deal with the different anxieties that we're all going through. So go check out the interview. I hope it creates the impact that I wished it would create. And lots of love. Until next time, Curry Connect. Thank you so much, Akansha, for joining me today, making time out to be on Curry Connect. It's a pleasure to have you on board. And it comes at such a coincidental time because I must tell you this, that last month when there was so much of things happening around, uh, you know, India and generally with the whole COVID situation, I kept thinking and I was about to launch Curry uh, Connect again and I kept thinking how do I give back to people you know how do I use this platform to get back sort of you know some knowledge to people and that's when this uh, theme came around and it just naturally dropped into my kitty you know and telling me that okay so I'm really looking forward to sharing these insights and sharing your knowledge with them because it's been so like it's come full circle for me I feel you know so to begin with, please tell me how, tell me everything that you can about Reset, how you have become who you are in the current time, and how did you sort of reset, if I might say, from your professional life into what you do today? Yeah. So first of all, Krishna, thank you so much for having me and for um, giving a platform for us to talk about these very real topics, particularly given what's happening um, in a lot of countries, including India. In terms of how Reset came about to be, um, in my journey as a journalist, I have covered a lot of communities of color and I've covered a wide range of topics, everything from art to gender, politics, policy, education, and all of it uh, has a way of percolating down to communities of color that doesn't necessarily impact um, the majority of the population. So whether you're looking at Indo-Canadians um, or whether you're looking at uh, women in India or you're looking at the diaspora, you know, there is a lot of stigma around mental health. There is a lot of stigma around um, gender and the, you know, um, internalizing of toxic masculinity or just, um, you know, including just being able to fight for basic education rights. So I can give you an example. In um, India, a lot of parents uh, over the past uh, year with distance learning, a lot of families that aren't in urban areas uh, or are even in urban areas, but don't necessarily have the technology at home or only have one device, 
that device more often than not goes to the male child because male child's education is considered to be more um, superior or takes precedence over the girl child. Yes. So Reset essentially is a platform that offers a light on these subjects that are impacting minorities, impacting people of um, color, people of determination. And we are one of the only few publications in the world that do daily uh, reporting around these topics, daily original reporting, I might add, particularly in the last year around these topics, in order to be able to share the often injustice that happens um, in these communities, but also to be able to provide a resource for people um, within these communities to turn to and uh, be able to access or uh, access information from experts and hear the lived experiences of others. How do you exactly go about with the challenges of, you know, discussing taboo topics in, in this kind of a cultural atmosphere? I think the first step for anyone is to be able to speak out and to be able to listen to other people. Hmm. So uh, let's say in a uh, friend circle, you have, you know, locker room conversation among the guys. But if one, one of them speaks out and says like, hey, actually, you know how you're describing uh, the girl or how you're describing the woman, that's not really respectful and da da da, this is why. You know, people might uh, make fun of him or just tell him like, oh, you know, bro, just play along with it or whatever. But no doubt that people at the end of the day will think about it. Yes. Whether it's like, oh yeah, you know, I maybe shouldn't have said that or, yeah, I think he's right, even though I won't acknowledge or admit that he's right. And for that person speaking out, that's a huge step, particularly if you look um, at, you know, sensitive topics such as mental health or such as um, gender or toxic masculinity, anything along those lines. First step is to speak out, but also for us at Reset is to be able to provide a platform where people can listen and you know, learn from other people's experiences. So when we were um, starting out, for us to be able to reach out to people and say like, hey, tell us your deepest, darkest, you know, life story and experiences. At first, it took them a bit of time to be able to trust us and open up. But when we established that trust and we were able to put their stories out, now at least like, I get like three to four emails or like our Instagram, um, inbox is flooded with people saying like, hey, this really helped me. I want to be able to share my experience or I want to be able to write about what I'm going through. Are you accepting, uh, you know, any stories about my experience with bipolar disorder or my experience with body image? So I think if you see other people speaking out and you know that, it, that it's in a safe space without judgment, then you're, you know, more comfortable uh, speaking out yourself and you have that sort of confidence like okay you know I'm not alone and there's nothing wrong with me and I should be able to tell my story without worrying or without fretting over the uh, repercussions or the fact that somebody's going to make fun of me. The people who are away from their homeland you know that how do they deal with the fact that they are away from the homeland? How do they deal with the mental pressure of that? Survivor's guilt is very common. 
particularly during this time among the Indian diaspora, and not just India, even in uh, Nepal and Pakistan, the situation is escalating. And people we've talked to, the, uh, the Pakistani diaspora and the Nepalese diaspora, they have shared sentiments of what's happening that is of helplessness and despair. So the first thing I want to say is that alone in the feelings that you are going through, um, this is not your fault. This is not on you. This is not your fault. You have to remember that. Um, again, like I want to reiterate that survivor's guilt is very common and you have to allow yourself space and time to be able to process the emotions. You know, nobody, um, expected or anticipated that the situation would escalate to this point in India where at some point you're just numb or you're dreading that phone call that, you know, who is it now? Or you're just looking at the numbers flash on screen and it's desensitizing you to a point where uh, you don't know how to process that and then you feel guilty about that. So I think um, those are some very important points to remember. And then um, look at ways, if you want to, and you are able to contribute, look at ways that you can do that. So whether it is using your social media to amplify, um, you know, resources, whether it's mental health resources or places that are providing oxygen, or you're able to connect uh, people uh, for plasma or medication or whatever else it is, um, see if there's anything you can do. But with this, I also want you to remember is that even if you can't or you don't want to or you're unable to, there is nothing wrong with that. I would say is that if you need to be able to switch off from what is happening, and I recognize and realize that even doing that is a privilege, but if you need to be able to, you know, turn off the TV or, you know, not watch the news or get off social media or, you know, mute people or remove like just one friend actually removed the news widget from her phone because she couldn't see the constant updates because she has family back in India and she just, it was getting to her. So want to, you know, do that, allow yourself to be able to do that and to do what is needed for you to be able to take care of your mental why do you think this whole guilt factor comes in the picture? You know, how do you think uh, somebody develops this bit? Because it's it's clearly something that we develop on ourselves. Is it is do you believe in that, or do you have other thoughts on that? I think guilt is a very natural human emotion. You know, it's uh, you could feel guilty about showing up late to a meeting. You could feel guilty about a wide range of things. But particularly, I think in this situation, for those of us who have loved ones back in India, uh, whether that's extended family or immediate family, a lot of thoughts cross your mind because for us, life is pretty much normal, right? We've been, most of us have been vaccinated. We are going into work or we're going uh, to restaurants and we're very fortunate to be able to lead a life that, um, is back pretty much, you know, quote unquote, what our normal was, right? Whereas in India, that's not necessarily the case. And you can have that 
things like, oh, um, I'm going out with my friends right now, or I'm able to go get groceries, whereas my family in India is unable to find even basic supplies, whether it's at the grocery store or, you know, what are my parents going to do? Or, um, you know, if something happens to my parents, how am I going to handle a situation like that? So I think it's a very um, natural emotion that we tend to develop as human beings who are empathetic. I think it's like every uh, human being at some point will feel some sort of guilt. And I don't think it's even just limited to the diaspora. I've had like the Indian diaspora specifically. I've had friends um, who are Pakistani reach out to me. I've had friends who are American, who are Canadian, who reach out to me saying like, hey, are there places where I can donate? Yeah, because what is happening in India, I want to be able to do my part, right? And they are also feeling that sort of guilt or that sort of um, empathy and sensitivity towards what is happening because it's a very, it's a humanitarian um, problem. It's a lot of parents when we as uh, youngsters go back and tell them, you know, what my friends, so-and-so passed away, uh, this friend is struggling with contacts, their reaction, the most common reaction I've seen across the, across the belt is, it's okay. You know what? It happens and you need to deal with it. You need to become stronger. And that's somewhere I think hits off as very hard to accept for somebody who's, you know, going through this firsthand or it's the first time that you're seeing. So what would your advice to parents be? Obviously, or maybe they aren't immune, but they have that layer of immunity on top of them saying to protect their child. What would your advice be to them? Natural instinct is to be able to protect their child from the worst or from any harm or emotional turmoil. But it's again here important to remember that you can't do that. You know, as much as you want, life is going to come at your child, the highs and the lows. And that is something that they're going to navigate. What you can do is provide a sort of safety net for them to fall back on in certain situations, but also to be able to create a safe space within your home for them to be able to express their emotions, to be able to be listened to without judgment or a fear of a lecture or, you know, um, just it turning into an argument or a shouting match between um, the two sides. It's also important to remember that um, a lot of parents have, haven't um, grown up in a time where conversations around mental health and well-being were the norm. Yeah. It's only a very late and forget that terms like self-care and mental health have, you know, they wouldn't even know what the terminology would be for a lot of them until uh, of late, right? So I can tell you is that my grandfather has been a feminist his entire life right? Like he made sure that my mom did her MBA, her PhD, whatever it was, she went to the best school and he encouraged her. She was on the cricket team. He was there at every match. But if you ask him, are you a feminist? For him, that word is something that he's only very recently, you know, been accustomed to. So I think for parents also is that they have to, on their part, do a bit of reading up. And also realize that um, sometimes your child doesn't want advice. Sometimes they just want to be able to pour their emotions out. And a helpful thing is just, you know, when a child comes to you, be like, okay, do you want me to listen to you? Or do you want me to give my inputs at some point? Or what is it? How do you want this conversation to go? Yeah. 
So based on the lead that your child takes, you can then you know, set the flow of the conversation and ensure that your child and also you get what you want out of that conversation. And then perhaps if you think that, okay, now is the time that my child just wants to listen to me, but maybe in a day or two, I can go and pick up that conversation and see whether I can offer any advice or words of encouragement or see if they want to see a mental, like seek professional help or see a mental health professional, I can then initiate that discussion also. I come to this question about this little article that I read on your website, which was about how uh, children are dealing with the fact that they had, the, and I'm a personal uh, example of that as well, actually, which is why I resonated with that, wherein, you know, you had these big dreams before the pandemic, you wanted to establish yourself where you went to study, but then you came back and now suddenly you've been, so the article was about how uh, kids went abroad and they, they thought they would, you know, ideally live there, but they were forced to come back. And now, again, from the independent oyster, the, there's, the, there's a quote by Eshwara in the article who says that, you know, the, the family has become the new oyster. So instead of the world becoming the oyster. So my question to you is that how would you advise the youth to deal with this kind of assessment shift, you know, in the way they perceive their goals? How do they, what is important for, what should they be prioritizing in their vision for the future. For anyone right now is survival for their families and for themselves. So I think to remember that it's okay if you need a month off, you need a few weeks off to be able to focus on your family situation. Um, that is completely normal. And you have to remember that at least the majority of employers are empathetic of that. And the majority of schools that are empathetic of that, and if that is something that is not possible, I would suggest having a conversation with your employer or with somebody um, at your college or professor or whoever and say that I need uh, a few weeks off because we have a COVID case at home or I need, or I'm down with COVID. The situation is so fluid right now that or sticking to these rigid notions or rigid timelines and goals is, in my opinion, a futile attempt, because even for us at work, we've had certain deadlines, but those haven't been met because you know what life happens as much as I'd love to say that uh, we can meet this uh, deadline and we'll get all this uh, content out, that's not been the case because we have one team member whose uh, parent is on ventilator. That is her priority. I'm not going to ask her right now to be like, no, drop everything and do this. No, you take the time you need to be able to focus on your family. At what you can do in the meantime, whether um, you know there are any free courses that you can take to upskill yourself, whether uh, you know you know reach out to your alumni network or any professor or anyone you know who can tell you like, hey, I know this person who's looking for an internship or like a former colleague is hiring someone, or even see if you can do any research for your professors to keep yourself occupied or to see whether you have any supplemental income that is coming in. So I think that would be my advice is to look at the various backup plans and finally to find a support group to join because yeah, yes, therapy is expensive and a lot of therapists are offering sliding scale or um, 
three sessions, but I think a support group during this time is very helpful to make you remember and realize that you're not alone. And for you to be able to find a way to socialize and connect with others during this time as well, um, people who are in similar situations, uh, because you never know what comes out of it, whether it's in terms of opportunities or just you finding solace. Absolutely agree to that, yeah. It's something that worked for me during the pandemic. So I think uh, doing that, I think just being out there is very important. Thank you so much, Akamsha, for joining me on Curry Connect. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. And I look forward to sharing this interview with everyone. Thank you. Thank you for making time. Thank you, Krishna. It's been absolutely wonderful.